Now, life involves making discoveries. And someone who made a discovery last week was Jeremy Paxman, presenter of BBC's Newsnight. Now, Jeremy was a guest on a television programme called Who Do You Think You Are? A question he likes to ask politicians. And on this programme, Mr. Paxman embarked on a journey of discovery by investigating his family tree. So what did Jeremy find? Well, Jeremy was amazed to find that his great-grandmother lived with 11 of her children in one small bedsit, and that the Paxman family name actually came from a politician, much to the annoyance of Jeremy. Life involves making discoveries. Now, this morning, we're going to begin a journey of discovery. Today, we're launching a new series called 40 Days of Purpose. How does it start? Well, we're going to start by looking at life's three greatest questions. Number one, the question of existence. Why am I alive? Number two, the question of significance. Does my life matter? And number three, the question of intention. What is my purpose? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Edinburgh Airport. And if you ever go to an airport bookshop, what do you see? Rows and rows of self-help books, yes? And they have some wonderful titles, don't they? Like, Overcome the Fear of Flying. Very apt in an airport. Lose Weight Now. That's what it says. Learn how to think positively. Overcome exam nerves. And my favorite one, unleash your true potential. Wow. Tremendous. And what do they all basically say? Well, it's always the same thing. Dream big dreams. Go after your goals. Have some ambitions. Aim high. Believe you can achieve and never give up. And if you do those things, what will happen? You'll be a success in life. But think about this. Being a success and knowing your purpose in life are not the same things. You see, you can be a success in life and yet never know, what on earth am I here for? Why did God put me on this planet? You see, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. And it's far greater than your own happiness and even your own peace of mind. Why? Because you are made by God, and you are made for God, and you are put here for His purposes. And until you understand that, life is not going to make sense. And actually, God has five purposes for your life. And over these next 40 days, we're going to look together at those five purposes. But this morning, I want us to notice God's motive. And we're going to look here at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if you cast your eye at verse 1, what do we find? Well, the author is the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing a letter to the church in Ephesus and to all of us. And not for nothing has this letter been called the Switzerland of the New Testament. It's a big picture letter. And in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14... Here we come to one of the great sections of God's Word. Then the original Greek text is just one long sentence. Paul is gripped. He is moved by the Spirit. And as he dictates his speech 
pours out of his mouth in a continuous cascade. He neither pauses for breath nor punctuates his words. He just goes on and on in full rush, and then he comes to the end. He stops. One commentator describes it like this. He says this, It's rather like a snowball running down the hill and picking up more snow as it continues. Somebody else has compared it to a racehorse running or to an eagle in full flight. And it's here, in this magnificent song of praise, that we find the answer to life's three greatest questions. The question of existence. Why am I alive? The question of significance. Does my life matter? And the question of intention. What is my purpose? John Piper, pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, writes this. One of the saddest feelings in the world is the feeling that your life is going nowhere. You're alive, but you feel like there is no point in being alive. And he continues, We were not made to live without a destiny. We were made to be sustained by a meaningful, purposeful future. Okay, so let's go straight to the first question. And it's a question of existence. Why am I alive? Now, firstly, we were made for meaning. Let me illustrate it this way. During the Second World War, there was a concentration camp somewhere in Hungary. And inside were prisoners processing sewage in a factory. Now, it was nauseating work, but something was being accomplished. However, one day the Allies came and bombed that factory and blew it apart. And so the prisoners had nothing to do. Now, here's what happened next. The Nazi soldiers had the prisoners take all the rubble off that factory and move it to another field, move it somewhere else. The next day, they had them take that same rubble and bring it back to where they started. And so it went on for days. Now, in the days that followed, many prisoners just couldn't take it. Why? They'd lost their will to live. And what happened? Many of them all ran to the guards and were shot. Now, this true story graphically highlights that you and I were meant for meaning. And there are three things to notice about why you are alive. Number one, you were created by God. Verse 3, what does it say? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, let's take a very small part of creation. DNA molecules. Are you ready for a science lesson again? Yes? Okay. Here's what science has shown us. Life at its roots requires information which is stored in DNA and protein molecules. And if you stop and think about it, that requires an intelligent designer. Let me explain. Take the example of a computer. It's run on software programs produced by intelligent engineers. And in fact, every experience we have about information, whether it's a computer code or a cave painting, points towards intelligence. And now here's the point. The same is true about the information inside every living creature. There is an intelligent designer behind it 
And that designer is God. It all starts with God, it continues with God, and it ends with God. Bertrand Russell was a famous atheist philosopher of the last century. But he realized the sheer emptiness of life without God. He said this, Unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning and purpose is irrelevant. But what does the Bible declare? There is a God, and deep within all of us, we know that. John Paul Sartre was another atheist philosopher. But near the end of his life, this is what Jean Paul Sartre said. I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who is expected, prepared, prefigured. In short, a being whom only a creator could put here. And this idea of a creating hand refers to God. So number one, you were created by God. Number two, you were created in love. Verse four at the end. Notice what it says. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, have you ever thought about this question? Did God need to create me? Have you ever thought that? Did the Almighty God ever feel lonely? Well, the answer is no. You see, God always exists in the perfection of his being. Then why did God create us? Catch this. You were created to be loved by God. It's amazing. God is love. And God wanted to create something to love. You see, God is a kind of God who loves and seeks a people. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, page 186, the few Bibles, and we'll read from verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 7 says this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were, because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. In verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. So why are you alive? You were created in love. Then number three, you were created for relationship. Now, if you were in the lounge last Sunday, something quite unusual happened. Remember what happened? Hundreds of people were staring at a wall. And why did they do that? Well, last Sunday, we put up a list of names of all the fellowship groups. And you can still add your name to that list. Okay, so what's going to happen in these groups? Well, over six weeks, we'll be exploring our purpose in life. But listen, it's also a brilliant opportunity for developing relationships. By looking at God's Word together, by having a meal together, and by playing Sudoku together, but not during the study. But here's something even greater. Being in relationship 
with Almighty God. And it's here we come to one of the great mysteries of the Bible, the doctrine of election. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to look at this in much detail. Please see Peter after the service. But if you look at verse 4, we see that Paul reaches back in his mind before the foundation of the world. And in that pre-creation eternity, God did something. He formed a purpose in his mind. And what was that purpose? It was this. He put us, his chosen people, and Christ together in his mind. And listen, it arose from his entirely unmerited favor. And it's a doctrine that lets God be God. And it does away with all human pride. So that's our first question. The question of existence. Why am I alive? Answer, you were created by God and for God. Here's the second question. And it's the question of significance. Does my life matter? Now, if you think about it, every day we make priorities. We make choices about what really matters. For example, it could be about what you wear. Will I go to work in a suit and tie? Or will I wear a Hawaii shirt instead? And just wait till you see Rick Warren on the video. Every day, we decide what really matters. But have you ever asked yourself this question? Does my life matter? Is my life significant? Well, in verses 7 and 8, just look at how much you matter to God. Watch this. What does it say here? In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, so what does that tell us? For a Christian, their their significance is found in Christ. Now notice, in Christ, it does not mean being inside Christ, but united to Christ. And it's the very essence of being a Christian. And it's central to Paul's theology. Let's take a look. In these first 14 verses, Jesus Christ is mentioned by name or by title or by pronoun 15 times. And the phrase, in Christ, 11 times. It's amazing. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, in Christ, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Christ is the object of God's love. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In verse 9, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In verse 13, And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Amazing, isn't it? Again and again, these spiritual blessings are ours in Christ. And there are three tremendous blessings 
blessings I want us to look at in being in Christ. And firstly, you're given a new status. Now, last week, you may have heard that Donald Trump, the property tycoon, is thinking about creating a major leisure development in Scotland. Now, Donald Trump is someone of status. He is wealthy. In fact, he is absolutely loaded. He is someone of status. But that's nothing. Think about this. If you're a Christian, if you've repented of your sin and received Christ into your life, you have been given a new status. And it's far more significant and more satisfying than all these symbols of human status. For what greater status could possibly be conceived than being a child of God, accepted, loved, adopted, forgiven by the living God of the universe? And listen, that's how much you're worth. And how is it made possible? Verse 7, in him. Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now you remember, redemption is a language of the slave market. We were slaves to a wicked master called sin. But God bought us back. And what is the price? The price is Jesus Christ's own blood. O love divine, what hast thou done? The immortal God hath died for me. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all my sins upon the tree. The immortal God for me hath died. My Lord, my love, is crucified. That is amazing. And secondly, when you're in Christ, you begin a new life. Now someone who knew a lot about the slave market was John Newton, who wrote this to him, Amazing Grace. Now back in the 18th century, John Newton was the master of a slave ship. However, in 1748, he became a child of God. And this is what John Newton said about his new life in Christ. He said this, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Listen, but I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now here's the point. You matter to God because he wants to transform you. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. Remember, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And God wants you to grow in holiness. Now if you look at verse 4, what does it say? For he chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world. Listen, to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, there is no hint here of antimonianism. So right at the start of four days of purpose, there are three questions I can ask myself. Number one, am I concerned about personal holiness? Am I concerned about personal holiness? Number two, is there personal holiness in my life? Is there personal holiness in my life. And number three, am I growing in that holiness? And thirdly, when you're in Christ, you join a new community. Now we thought about this on New Year's Day. If you were to come up here this morning and look around, what would you see? You would see people from all countries of the world, from China 
to Chile, from Germany, to Greece, from South Korea, to South Africa. And you would find people from all different walks of life. School teachers, nurses, doctors, accountants, pastors, and so on. Well, think about this. You matter to God because he wants to join a new community, a redeemed community. And if you look at verse 13, what does it tell us? It's this. People from all backgrounds are included in this community. And here's how we're going to celebrate that. At the end of 40 days of purpose, we'll finish it in style. So let me give you a date for your diary, okay? On the 26th of February, after the morning service, we have booked the assembly rooms. And we'll go there and have a big three-course meal together. And why are we doing this? Because we all belong to this family. Now, here's the final question. And it's the question of intention. What is my purpose? Now, this is not exactly a new question. So you're ready for a history lesson. Yes? Back in 1643, the English Parliament summoned a meeting at Westminster Abbey. And at this meeting were church ministers, members of the House of Lords, and of the House of Commons. But no Jeremy Paxman. Now, at these meetings, the Westminster Confession of Faith was drawn up. And it was finally completed in December 1646. Now, can anyone remember what is the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Anyone? Shout that out. What is, the, yeah, what is the chief end of man? Now, what was the answer? Oh, wow. Excellent. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And you'll notice... That's what Paul is telling us here. Did you spot that marvelous wee phrase? For the praise of his glory. It comes in verses 6, 12, and 14. And over these next 40 days, we're going to explore how we can apply this practically. But this morning, I want us to notice two things before we close. And here's the first one. Knowing your purpose in life means living with a heavenly perspective. Now, have you heard the expression, he's so heavenly minded? Yes, that is no earthly use. Heard that? Well, Paul here shatters that scene. Let me explain. Picture the scene. Paul had served the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificially. If you wanted an example of service, look at Paul. But now, where is he? What has, ha what has happened to Paul? Well, look at this. He was a prisoner in Rome. He was under house arrest and he was handcuffed to a big Roman soldier. Now, imagine if you were Paul. How would you feel? Fed up? Discouraged? Dejected? Maybe even a wee bit let down. So how does Paul feel? Well, let's look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Incredible. You see, although Paul's body was confined, his heart and his mind inhabited eternity. Paul had set his heart on things above, on the exalted Christ. And that's the ground for this tremendous practical power 
here on earth. Think about that. And so finally, knowing your purpose in life means living with a heavenly purpose. Now let me illustrate this with an example. And it fits very, fits very well with our focus this morning. Born in 1902, a lady known as the Little Woman lived with a heavenly purpose. This little woman worked as a housemaid. However, in God's plan for her life, she had a vision of going to China to tell people in that distant land of God's love for them. And so she applied to a mission organization. But she was rejected. Her education did not meet their requirements. But then she heard about a missionary in China who was looking for someone to carry on her work. This little woman saved up some money and on the 15th of October, 1932, she set off from London on the long train journey to China. And that is where Gladys Aylward served God until her death in 1970. Her life story was made into a movie called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. And Newsweek magazine reviewed that movie. And, it, and they wrote this. In order for a movie to be good, the story should be believable. It's amazing. You see, the reviewer just couldn't believe that this seemingly nobody could make such an impact in her world for Christ. So how did it happen? She lived with a heavenly purpose, and it burned within her. And at the end of her life, Gladys wrote this of herself. My heart is full of praise that one so insignificant, uneducated, and ordinary in every way could be used, listen, to his glory for the blessing of his people in poor, persecuted China. You see, that vision of verse 10, God's ultimate purpose, when Christ will be head and Lord of all, is the purpose she lived for. And so in conclusion, this morning we've looked at life's three greatest questions. The question of existence. Why am I alive? You were made by God and for God. The question of significance. Does my life matter? Your significance is found in Christ. And the question of intention. What is my purpose? Your purpose is to share the eternal purpose of God. And so as we launch 40 Days of Purpose, may our prayer be that we can echo Gladys Aylward, who could honestly say, my desire is to live to the praise of his glory. Let us pray.